Christmas. Merry 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 Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. 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 We're so glad that you joined us for our Christmas Eve service here at CBC. May you be blessed as we celebrate the glad tidings that he has come. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. John 1, 14. A young woman named Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph, who was from King David's family. But they were married. She learned that she was going to have a baby by God's Holy Spirit. Joseph was a good man and did not want to embarrass Mary in front of everyone. 
so he decided to quietly call off the wedding. While Joseph was thinking about this, an angel appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and marry her. Then, after her baby is born, name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Around that time, Emperor Augustus gave orders for the names of all the people to be listed in record books. Everyone but went back to their cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's family line, he and Mary went to David's city, called Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She wrapped him up well and laid him in a box where cattle fed because there was no other place for them to stay.
Some shepherds were out in the fields near Bethlehem, watching their sheep. All at once, an angel came down to them from the Lord, and the glory of the Lord was shining around them. The shepherds were very afraid, but the angel said, Don't be afraid. I have good news for you, which will make everyone happy. Today, our Savior was born in David's town. He is Christ the Lord. You will know who he is, because you will find him wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying on a bed of hay. Suddenly, many other angels came down from heaven and were praising, all praising God, saying, Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors.
Well, good evening. We wanted to take a moment to welcome you to Community Bible Church. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we're just thrilled that we can have a chance to gather together and to worship together. We're especially glad here that we have this warm sanctuary to be together on this cold Christmas evening. Some of you may be visiting for the very first time to this area, and if that's the case, welcome to Highlands. And you may be interested to know that at the end of the service, we will be uh, collecting a love offering at each of the exit doors in support of local families who are in need during this Christmas season. So thanks in advance for whatever you can share along those lines. But most importantly, welcome in celebration of this Christmas Eve service. In celebration of a similar day over 2,000 years ago, when a waiting world welcomed Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, our newborn King. No Christmas carols.
If you're watching tonight or during the day from the cashers area, maybe you're one of the 7,000 people who had no power, I hope you had a good Christmas, those of you watching and after the fact. Who's grateful? Man, I'm grateful for the heat wave that came into this area between 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. Who's grateful for that? It must have got up to like 16. I was looking in the mirror getting ready to come over here. I have like wind burn. My, my grandson Jake and I did some work together this afternoon out in the elements. We were delivering some firewood, talking about such things as how to negotiate an hourly wage or what capitalism is all about, how to say thank you to a customer. And it got me thinking about the way I saw the world uh, through the lens and the filter of an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old little boy. I can remember going to about every other Easter service every year, and then pretty, pretty consistent, we'd go to the Christmas service, and I'd hear a limited amount of scripture, really. I mean, um, you're going to get the I am the resurrection and the life at Easter time, and then you're going to get a few, like, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Well, that's about all the scripture I got growing up. I remember being in the back of the car one day, and I said to my mom, what, what are we? She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, what are we? Uh, she said, son, I have no idea what you're talking about. Are, like, are we Christian? Are we Buddha? What are we? Are we? Oh, she goes, I think we're Methodist. <laughs> Your dad and I got married in a Methodist church. I thought, okay. 
I didn't even have no idea what that meant. But I did know that it was peace on earth and goodwill toward men. I got that at Christmas time. That's about the entire vocabulary of scripture I had at about 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And goodwill toward men, what that meant to me was we had often, often dropped off junk at the goodwill. I knew exactly what that was about. And so I was new as a Christian in that respect. But then I started around Christmas time realizing that it wasn't so much about singing about turtle doves. Uh, until in my 20s, I realized that the Spirit of God can light upon another human, a human being like a dove. And that started to get my attention. And Christmas wasn't about decorations, but it was about declarations. And some of those scriptures that I had heard at Christmas time, all of a sudden I began to think about and really think about. And it began to change the pace, the direction, the trajectory, the intensity of my life. And I got acquainted with the Word of God. This was one such verse. It's kind of our theme tonight. It's 1 John 1 and 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Okay? And it says, We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only, the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. How could that greeting card verse make its way from the hustle and bustle of Christmas time and sort of attach itself to a, for the most part, a shopping secular holiday and give it some sort of sense of meaning? How does a verse like that do that? That verse for me in my 20s when I had just come to Christ was a, was a verse that you could add on or put into Christmas and give Christmas, as I knew it, a little more depth and a little more meaning, or at least the appearance thereof, until that verse became something that I could not hide from, I could not deviate from, I could not get away from because it had been so planted in my heart and it became something that it didn't change my life. It gave me life. That, that Christ didn't want to change my life. He wanted to be my life. He wanted to give me life, his life. Now, everything became different. I didn't have to worry about what I was wearing to church as a boy. We'd have to go out. I got a, a, a denim leisure suit one time and wore it to church because I was such a big kid they couldn't find a a bona fide sport coat for me to wear. I was so conscious of what I was wearing to church that I was not at all conscious of the reason you go to church. So maybe if you're here tonight and the last time you were in church was last Christmas, Merry Christmas to you again. Let me give you something that may haunt you for the next 364 days in a good way because it's worth talking about. Put that verse back up there again. The word became flesh. The small word, three letters. I use it all the time. You don't even have to use it in texting as much, but the word the is one of the coolest words in the English language because it's a distinctive. It separates that one thing you're talking about from everything else. It, 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 so, it so does away with uh, the plurality of everything being equal, and it sets something apart as the, the only one. This is the only one there is of this. It is the. The singular versus all the other. The what? The word. 
You know, it's the word, the word, the distinctive word that's different than every other word. It's a, it's a word that comes from a supreme being that is a, a word so powerful it can be uttered and it's equal to the essence of the one who uttered it, God himself. So God can speak his logos, write his word, and what he gives you in his word, what he gives you in his logos, his written word, is the essence of who he is. He's giving you himself and he's breathing that out and he can do that in creation. He can do it and he can say... Let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. So he says it, and it happens. He says it, and it's manifested. He says it, and you can count on it. It's, um, it's the word, and it's distinctive from every other word that you hear in your life. Even your own. I give you my word. No, no, this is different. The word of a man, the word of a politician, the word of a husband, the word of a wife, the vow, the marriage vow. No word we utter No word we write is as dependable as covenantally worthy of this word. This word in that book, under your pew, in your dresser at home, under your coffee table, or on top, or in your heart. That word, that distinctive, the God supreme potentate spoke, the essence of who he is, is different than every other word. Soon as you know that, you begin to listen to it differently. It's, it's not just a word, it's an authoritative word. And the people heard Jesus speak it some 30 years after this holiday here. And, and when he said it, they were like, boom, I'm amazed. I'm sorry, uh, I'm captivated. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't step away from that. I have to listen. But I'm listening in a way I've never listened to anything else before. I'm hearing things that no one ever thought about saying before. And they're being said in a way that aren't that different than everyone else. But when he says it, it's like God's breathing on me. He's breathing his word, the word, the word. The word I need to hear, the corrective word, the encouraging word, the loving word, the uplifting word, the inspiring word, the motivating word, even even the rebuke. It's the word, that word of God. Oh my goodness. It's the the that makes it the bread of life. Not a bread, not a God among many gods. The God, the word, the bread, the living water the bishop of our soul. You see, you can talk about God all you want, but if he's not the supreme in your life, if he's not the one, capital W, capital O, capital B, then he's just really not a the. You might as well pick up a Mormon Bible. Hey, God. Why not make it a, a small W or a small G? If that's really what it is in your life, and I mean, start there. I mean, if that's what it is. Now, I mean, I begin to figure out this is a big G, a big W, a big B, a big L. The living water. Holy Spirit, the word. The word. What about it? Well, God breathed. And, and it came out of God, the divine, the throne, the creation, and the essence of who he is just was there. And it was spirit. Now, you and I weren't around. This, this was a long time ago. This is this before the 1800s. The word became, what do you mean? Behold, became 
begotten. What are these words? Behold, look at him. Look at him, look at him, look at him. Don't take your eyes off. Look, study, think, meditate, ponder, pray, consider, reflect. You know, things that we used to do when we had time to do them. Now we don't. We have to move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next appointment and the next deal. No, but let's say that we could, that we, we had the opportunity to, to be still and to behold, to think, to ponder, to reflect upon, to stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. If you did that, if behold that word and the spirit that it was, the disembodied word, that it didn't have form, it became something. It changed. It became, uh, hmm. Flesh. Say what? God became flesh. God wrapped himself up in something so he could be seen, understood, related to. He could be described in a different way. He could actually come in the form of a man, a baby that would grow up in the, in the human dilemma, in the human challenge, in the human problem, in the human experiment of living on this earth and realize that we are without something, that we are in need of something, that even as a baby we are dependent upon others, that we, don't, we have something, an ache in us that has to be satisfied, that we try to satisfy in so many different ways. This God, this word, this flesh, all of a sudden, as the begotten of God, he's, he's here to represent you, to represent me. Because God is a righteous judge, he's going to penalize mankind for what a righteous judge has to do. You break the law, you have to pay. A righteous judge does that, so he sends his spirit, his word, into form with flesh so that that one could be punished. Him, the, the word could be punished on our behalf. That he would take the brunt of our problem, not the brunt, but all of our problem, and that he would be our representative and he would live a sinless life to do what you and I cannot do, that essence of God that's manifested when he speaks something into existence, that's so covenantally sure, so dependable, so true, so right, so automatic, so no deviation, so faithful, the essence of the covenantal blood of God right there, the promises and the vow of God, that word started living on the earth in our place. Man, that's quite an extent to go. I'm going to live on that earth as them so that as them I can represent them and I can do what they cannot do and then I'll be punished for them. They won't have to be punished and they can actually enjoy what was intended for them all along. That word, behold that, that begotten became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There are times in my life, and I'm sure there are times in yours, when you go to a ball game or a concert or a bar or a, and you just watch television, a movie, any movie really, and you come to the conclusion, you ever have these moments where you just say to yourself, Mankind is disgusting. I mean, 
we're capable of so many things disgusting. And there's an upside, don't get me wrong. But he came to dwell in that and be that. And, oh no, not get the executive privilege of the executive washroom and the favor of all things. No, no. He wasn't spared any ridicule, any betrayal, any physical, psychological, spiritual abuse, nothing. He even entered into our sorrow with his flesh, our depression, our, our questioning whether to live or die, or to be hated, to be mocked, to be spit upon. Oh my gosh, he came into our flesh and lived among us, but not only that, took upon himself all of the terrible things that actually exist in this life, the disgusting things about humanity sometimes. Ever been to a men's room at a football stadium after the third overtime? It's disgusting. He took on flesh and lived in that disgustingness. Made his dwelling among us. And then John's writing. John, he's closest to him. You know, he knows kind of what to say along these lines. He says, we have, we, the rest of us, these guys, they hung together, just like you have a group that you hang together. The we of us all, we, we saw it. We saw him, traveled with him, vacationed with him, worked with him, listened to him, questioned him, got chewed out by him. We saw him, we saw his glory. What do you mean glory? We saw the thing that you were not gonna see anywhere else, we saw it. We saw something about him that no man has ever possessed, nor will ever possess in the future, because he's the word. And we, we just wanted to be around him, and we were confounded by him and confused by him at times, and we were, but there was an allure there. There was, a, there was a pulling in. Our hearts got pulled into this, not in some sort of deceptive scam kind of way, not like a charlatan. No, he was just honest, and it pulled us toward him more and more and more and more and more, and more until all of a sudden, like, like my granddaughter, just over two years old, looked at me the other day and said for the first time in her entire life, Poppy, as far as I'm concerned, you may not have noticed it, but the earth stopped rotating briefly. <laughs> my heart turned to a soup love soup she said it poppy I was like touchdown <laughs> well they heard Jesus talk all the time they had heard his sermon on the mountain stump speech at every town but every time they heard it it was new and it was living and it was active and it's sharp and it did something to them, and it never got old. They never got bored with it. They never walked away. They never rested in the back. They never took a pass on listening to it, just like every time you open that book. It's alive, man. It's alive. It's ever-changing, ever-dynamic, ever, ever exchanged with me and transforming me and stretching me and making me think differently. It is, it is the way, the way to live and enjoy and laugh and have Fullness of life, we've seen that glory. What, what do you mean, like a radiating beam or some sort of a, a computerized Hollywood movie kind of glory thing with the halo? No. You just, I don't know. 
I told my grandson today, when you shake that man's hand, look right into his eye. Look right into the eye of Christ who took on flesh. And there's a captivation there. There's, there's an allure. It doesn't dissipate. It doesn't, it's not diluted. It doesn't wane. It doesn't come and go. It's, they listened. They saw his glory. They looked into his eyes and they just didn't want to be anywhere else. Saw his glory. The glory of the one and only. There it is again. The only one like that. I see people for the last... Started out as a boy in a man's body. Then I was a man trying to be more like a boy. I don't know where I am now, but I can tell you this. I want to see the world through his eyes. I want to see, I want to see glory on earth. I want to be able to be captivated by him daily into fresh, new captivation. Daily captivation. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Now, hey, not everybody here is a great father. Some have super great fathers. Some have super, super, super fathers. Others, if you... If, if you had to really be honest, I hate to, you know, your dad, I don't know, he wasn't even around. You don't even know who he is. Whatever it is on those two extremes, we have these different varying opinions of our father. But this father, what does he want to give you? He wants to give you not something that he created. He doesn't want to give you something that you don't know if you want or not. He wants to give you himself. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He wants to give you himself. That's a father, okay. I want to give you, what do, more kid, what do kids want more than anything else with, from their father? Time. Right? The one thing we don't have. We have, but we say we don't have it. And the father says, I'm just going to give you myself. So I'm going to come in the form of my son, the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace. Full of truth. Not half full. Not almost topped off. Grace. I mean, this, this Christ has grace. It's like he's full of it. And there's more grace than can be content, that can actually be contained in the flesh. So let me ruin somebody's definition of what it means to be a Christian. So if <laughs> grace is buckets and buckets and waterfall after waterfall of the fullness of God's unmerited favor in your life, available to you 24-7 if you want it. His goodness, his forgiveness, his redemption. It's all there. I gave it to you, my son. I'll give it to you every day. It's available every single day of your life. What it is you're looking for, what it is you're striving for, what it is you're trying to earn, who it is you're trying to relate to. This God, this word became flesh, and he's full of grace, and he wants you to have it, have it, have it, have it, have it. And the craziest thing is we need it more than anything, but some of us just flat out don't want it. It says you're okay when you're not. It says you're acceptable when you're not. It says you're lovable when you don't feel like it. Because his distinctive voice, the word, 
trumps your inner voice that says you're not worthy, you're not up to it, you don't know enough, you're not whatever. And I know there are some people here, I know that, come on, I know there are some people here who are going through a rough period. Some of it self-imposed, some of it not. But this baby that came is saturated with and overflowing with grace. And the weaker you are, the more available the grace is, the more sufficient it is, the more accommodating it is. And truth, the greatest danger we have in our culture in this cultural moment today is that we are actually raising generations of human beings in this culture and many others who hear more people lying than telling the truth. They hear more deception than truth. Worse yet, what they hear is claimed to be truth, but it's not. And this baby's full of it, grace and truth. Grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's getting harder and harder and harder to seize just a few still moments to ponder, let alone see, let alone behold, let alone live in the power of this son. It's becoming difficult, very difficult. The word will strengthen your marriage vows. The word will give you reason to live and get up in the morning. The word will inspire you because it is inspired. The word won't change your life. It'll give you life. You don't want your life changed. You want to receive new life. The life of Christ, full of grace and truth. And not only is he the bread of life, He's the light of the world. <laughs> I'm here to have a contest. My guess is, at one time in my life, I reached a level of darkness that some of you don't even know existed or exist today. A deep darkness. A death darkness. An overwhelming death darkness where you want to end your life. I didn't need a light. I needed the light. I didn't need a word of encouragement, a word of sympathy, a counsel. I needed the word. I didn't need to prove myself. I need someone in the flesh to speak on my behalf for having done what I could not do. I didn't need to seek my own glory. I, it had to revel and see his. 
And I know what I needed to captivate other people. I needed to be captivated by him. Christmas is great. But add in Easter, and you have a Christ who's still alive, still vibrant, still a source of life, still loving, still full of grace and truth. If you have any area of your life that's even remotely dim, remotely dim, when you hold this candle up and think of the light of the world, invite that, invite that light of Christ into that area of your life. It was so stinking cold last night that I turned on our brand new porch lights and they scream back at me and say, no way, man, no way. The lights would not even come on. They were 25% of what they normally are. And that's what it's like living in the coldness of this world. At some point in time, you almost want to give up and say, no way, man. No way. The light of the world wants to invade your heart tonight with grace and truth. Yes way, man. Yes way, ma'am. Think about that as you hold these candles up. Let's prepare our hearts to worship.
to go and how to go there be my light the light wherever Lord I'm cold my heart is callous warm me be the light the light of my own life wherever my life my life is dim 
wherever my life is dying. Bring new life, yours. Light the way. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all sin. Thou art the light of the world, and the world word made flesh, made his dwelling among us. And to hear ahead, may we see your glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Meet us where we are, and bring us where you would have us to be. Tomorrow we open presence, but we also appeal to you to make your presence known to us in word and in deed. And everyone said, amen. All right, let's extinguish our candles and worship him as our way out of this service.